Welcome to the Archives Podcast. My name is Celeste Gallegos. My inspiration for this podcast started by me listening to another podcast about the success of people in business. One day I was sitting in church and I looked around and realized everyone has a success story of how God brought them to salvation. But many of us, including myself, we don't know them. These testimonies of spiritual success must be told and heard. I hope you enjoy these archives. So this is episode number one, and it's a very special one because she is near and dear to my heart. This is introducing Suzette Acuna. So she is my mother. So today we welcome Suzette Acuna. So just tell us, um, where did it all start, Suzette? Do you mind if I call you Suzette or do I have to call you mom? <laughs> Can I call you Shisha? No, <laughs> Mrs. Gallegos. Okay, so welcome Suzette Acuna. Thank you for being my very first guest on this podcast. Mm, thank you for asking me. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up here in El Paso? No, I was actually born and raised in LA. Um, and I was born August of 1967. So that makes me 53 years old. And growing up, we moved a lot. So are you the only child or do you have other siblings? I am the oldest. I have a younger sister that's four years younger than myself. And then I have a younger brother that we're 10 years apart. And okay. so my mom had us all very separate um, because mostly because of our health. She ended up having um, been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the age of 24. Mm-hmm. And um, as far back as I can remember, my mom spent a lot of time in the hospital and my dad would try to juggle work and fatherhood and take care of us. And he'd pick us up um, from whoever was watching us um, babysitting while he was at work. And we would, um, he'd come home and tend to the things that needed to be tended to as far as dinner and make sure that we were bathed. And then he would go to the hospital and as I got older, then being the oldest in the family, I started, that was, that was my responsibility. I picked up that responsibility from my dad. And how was your relationship with your mom? Did you resent her or did you just kind of see that this was a way of life? No, I never resented her for it because of course, um, the illness was out of her control. I, um, helped as much as I could. I just, it was just my way of life. I didn't, you just adjust to your circumstances. I learned how to cook and clean. And when my mom was a lot of times bedridden, I would make sure that she was, um, that her needs were met to the best of my ability. I mean, it wasn't, I'm sure, always on me. I'm sure my dad, when I was younger, which I don't really remember, did a lot of the work. but as I got older, maybe 10 and up, that I remember a lot of the, the help that my mom needed was what I did for her. So 
was there any exposure to the gospel at a young age or had you ever heard the name of Jesus? We actually grew up with the gospel because my mom um, became a Christian at a very, very young age. I'm, I don't know. I think she says she remembers maybe five, being five or six years old when um, she accepted Jesus into her heart. I don't know if my mom really went to church um, faithfully because I don't know what the relationship with my grandma was as far as I just knew that my grandma worked a lot. And so I don't know if there was a lot of a big commitment as far as being faithful to church. Um, I do know that my um, my family on my mom's side was grew up in the gospel because my great-grandfather and my grandfather were Methodist preachers and um, so there was the the seed and the foundation of the gospel with that in the family but of course with time as everyone gets older my aunts and and of course even my mom says that my grandfather ended up backsliding from being a, um, a preacher of the gospel and it just kind of really turned through a monkey wrench, I guess, into everyone else's salvation because that, to my knowledge, there's very few of my relatives, my aunts and cousins and stuff that are still in the gospel. Okay, so you are living in LA, your mom is sick, you know, your dad's trying to make ends meet, and what are your what are your next steps? What are your plans for the rest of your life? Well, um, to clarify, my mom was diagnosed with the MS, but she wasn't sick all the time. She, there was moments where there was times that she was well enough. She would have relapses with her multiple sclerosis maybe two, three times a year, but they were very severe that where she would stay bedridden in almost a month. So we did have a very happy childhood. Um, my parents were very good providers. My mom was a homemaker. She was always there for us. She was always home. And um, they always took us places. We traveled a lot. We did a lot of stuff. They would make sure that we just had a good childhood. And so at the age of about 13, um, we came back to El Paso because my parents are both from El Paso, but they met in California and they got married and had my sister and myself. And then we moved when I was about 13, 14 to El Paso. Okay, so you're 13 years old and you guys, you as a family moved back to El Paso since your parents are originally from here. Shortly after I know that you were you entered high school. So tell me a little bit about how it was for you in high school. I was not popular at all. And it really didn't matter to me. I just, I wasn't into school. And so I looked for any excuse to ditch, <laughs> especially PE. <laughs> and so I just um, kind of started making friends with the wrong crowd. There used to be, um, at Burgess, there used to be a street called Freak Street, and I was part of Freak Street. Um, I just really, I was just searching. I don't even know what I was searching for. I just 
thought that partying was was going to make me happy. It was going to fulfill my life. And me and my cousin were always partying and trying to, you know, find the next high, I guess, and trying to find um, just anything that's going to seem like a good time. And so for the next four years, that's pretty much all I did was try to find, um, you know, happiness in partying. And because I guess in high school, that's either you're a smart kid or you're a partier. It was like that in in my days. I don't know about now. <laughs> so what high school did you go to? I went to Burgess. I was going out with some guy and we just you know started partying and I just wasn't interested in school anymore and I ended up dropping out and within a few months I ended up getting pregnant and so when I told my mom actually she told me I guess just moms have a way about your kids and um I told her yes that I was um pregnant and in fact, this one, this was when God really started intervening in my life without me even knowing. Because the day that my mom told me that I had um, scheduled an appointment to have an abortion, and God intervened because now I have a precious 34-year-old daughter. And she's been such a joy in my life. And God saved. God saved her and he saved me because life is joy. And God doesn't make mistakes with life. And so when my mom told me that, when she asked me if I was pregnant, I said yes. And so because of her asking me, I canceled the the abortion. And so I'm very grateful that God intervened without me even knowing God. So what age were you when you had your daughter? I was 18 years old and my parents find out that I'm pregnant and my mom said the right thing to do is to get married. And it was because back then it was still very taboo to have be pregnant that young or be pregnant in high school. I remember they used to get bring a bus to the Burgess and very few girls were pregnant but the ones that were pregnant were not allowed to be in public school they had to go to a different private school so I got married in court and I was married for a year and a half with um, my daughter Doreen's um, biological father but I just I was such a rebel I didn't want anybody telling me what to do and so I just, I left. I didn't want to be tied down. I didn't want to have anyone, I didn't want any commitment. I didn't want anybody interfering with what I wanted to do. And so at the age of 20, two years of marriage, I was already divorced. And to me, it was a free ticket to continue my partying because I was I would leave my daughter with my with my mom and basically my mom raised my daughter for the first five years of her life because I was 
too selfish, too much into what I wanted that I didn't, I didn't want to take the time to raise her. I didn't want to take, she was a burden to me because I wasn't, I didn't know any better. I, I just wanted to have a good time. So, so called good time. Okay. So you're 24 years old. You are recently divorced and you have a four-year-old little girl. But I want to just divert from that for a little bit. And I want to talk about your neighbor at that time. What was his name? That was Freddie Lozano, but I used to call him Big Daddy. So tell me about your first interaction with Freddie Lozano. So I was living up on uh, Wheeling, right on the very corner of Scenic Drive in Wheeling. And this guy moves in next door to me. And I just thought, well, you know, a new neighbor. I didn't make anything of it. And, but I thought it was real weird because he always had guys over. And I used to think, what guy has just guys over? That just seemed too weird to me. And so anyway, at one point, he knocked on my door. And he asked me if I can, um, if he can borrow a cup of sugar. And I said, yeah, okay. You know, I was always real private. I never made friends with neighbors or anything like that I really didn't have a whole lot of friends and um so you know I didn't make anything of it so I gave him the sugar and and that was that but later on I've come to find out that he tells me that God kept dealing with him to befriend me because he wanted to witness to me and invite me to church and that was his way of getting to talk to you was knocking on your door and asking for a cup of sugar yeah, because he said he never would, you know, invite women to church. And so to him, he had a hard time trying to figure out how to befriend me. And so that was his way of, of befriending me without it making making it weird, I guess. Yeah. So does he start talking to you right away or how, how does that conversation go? Well, after that, um, he would find um, reasons to... Um, come and um, just talk to me you know he would come over and we would have um, just conversations I, after I'd get home from work and stuff I'd be making dinner or something and he knew I was home so he would knock on my door actually at the time I w- was living with some guy and um, so he would come over because he knew we were both home and he started he would start witnessing to us and one day it was actually one evening He came over and he just started, he must have been there about three hours just witnessing to us and telling us about the last days, the end times, the number of the beast, Um, people were going to get left behind about the rapture and it just really, really freaked me out. So was this the first time that you were ever hearing this or did it kind of trigger something in your mind like, "I've I've heard something about this before? I triggered something in me because I did grow up with the gospel. I I knew that I needed to get my life in order. I needed to serve God. I just didn't really know why. And it just seemed too boring to me because it just seemed like Christianity was just something that was boring. And I it just wasn't something I was into. Yet when Freddie started telling me about the rapture, it just brought all my childhood memories back of like you know what this is real and heaven and hell is real 
and I do need to give my life to God and I need to get my act together because I didn't want to go to hell and I knew I was the way I was living I knew that if I was out out partying or something happened I knew I was going to hell so did you immediately say Freddie Freddie take me to church I need to go to church or what did you do after you heard the gospel from Freddie well I it just wasn't my time yet um I wasn't ready I went I went to church with Freddie just to kind of get him off my case I guess um he knew I love Manolo and so he invited me to go have breakfast and and it was just me and there was a little restaurant around the corner right there by the church on Fort Boulevard in Copia and he's like come on let's go let's go and have breakfast before we go to church and I and I told him yeah okay let's go but I just thought if I go one time he'll stop bugging me about it and I went to church with him and I walked in and the speaking in tongues just freaked me out. I, like most, most of us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I just wasn't ready I, for salvation. I just wasn't ready to give my life to Jesus. And so I just wasn't into the church thing. So you have Menudo with Freddie and you decide that you don't want to get saved, that you don't want to go back to church. So what does Freddie do? Does he leave you alone? Does he stop talking to you? What happens there? Um, actually he moved away and so I thought cool you know I don't have to deal with this guy anymore I don't have to feel convicted because I was very convicted and so he moved away for almost a year and and during that whole time God was on me I mean when people say you know pray for people because we don't know what God does behind the scenes and that was me I knew that Freddie was praying for me because I felt so convicted of my sin. God was all over me. Every time I did something that I knew was wrong, it was, I was so unhappy. I was so miserable. And I just knew that it was only a matter of time because I couldn't keep living like that. Yeah, so it never triggered you like, I'm going to go to church by myself or you just decided to live with it live with the conviction well i did try to reach out to freddie i tried to find him i there was no cell phones back then so i had heard that he had moved to some neighborhood some house and stuff and he was living with some guys from church and i tried to find it and so i just left it i just thought i don't know I don't know if I'll ever be able to locate him. I never thought about going to church by myself. I really, really had su such a fear in my heart. I thought, my gosh, the, maybe the rapture happened and I got left behind and it just really put a fear in my heart. But God was so, he's so merciful. He's so, he loves us so much. Almost to the year of him moving out. He moves back in next door to the same apartment that he used to live in. And I just thought, man, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to church. I'm ready to surrender. I can't keep living like this. Freddie moves in and you see him and you're, like you said, you're ready. What does he do? Does he 
say hey Suzette you know how does that happen or did you go up to him yeah, at this point I went up to him and I was so excited I told him I've been looking for you I really thought the rapture had happened and he just starts laughing and I told him I want to go to church Freddie I want to I want to give my life to Jesus and so there you go we went to church the following service so you walk into church and you you've already been there once with Freddie this is your second time and what happens what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you know you're back in in church I knew I was home you know God before Freddie moved into back into the apartment next door God had already told me come back to me I love you I want to help you but you need to come back and so when I walked into church it was August 16, 1991. It was a Wednesday night, and I just knew that was my day. And I raised my hand for salvation at the altar, at the altar call. And I knew I was home. I said, God, I told God at the altar, if you take me back, God, I will serve you all the days of my life. And it's been 29 years, and I don't regret a single day because God has changed my life. He has blessed me. He has done such a work in my life that I could have never, ever imagined for myself. That's amazing that you say all of those things. And what I want to talk about now is your your salvation or your life after salvation. So, I mean, everybody knows him as... Guadalupe Raider. <laughs> I want to talk about how how you met Wally. Well, I really believe Freddie was the, the one that instigated the whole um, thing because I we were still living at the same apartments and he would always have Wally over and I got saved in August and it was Christmas time and me and Freddie always had fellowships and we would have big fellowships we would have both apartments open and our balconies connected and so people were always going from one side to the other my apartment to his apartment and Wally was always there having coffee and uh, Freddie introduced us, and after that, it seemed like Wally was there every day. <laughs> With intentions, I, I am sure of that. How did you guys even become friends or get to the point of wanting to date? I guess you'd have to ask Wally for a little bit more details, but during Christmas, um, Freddie had asked me, I don't know it must have been maybe a Friday night or a Thursday night or during the week sometime and he had uh, mentioned that if I wanted to go and have some tamales and I told him yeah let's go it was a little late it was like about 11 o'clock at night and I told him yeah let's go let's go um fellowship and so we took off and I didn't know that we were going to Wally's house and he's like yeah Wally said he's got some tamales and I told him okay well let's let's go and hang out and so we get there and according to Wally he um said that the moment I walked in that I sparkled I guess (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I've heard that same story. So shortly after you guys begin to date in the church, and tell me how how that was. So, um, like I said, I met him in December around Christmas time. We were just always hanging out. We always fellowshiped together. There was always a handful of us. A lot of us weren't married yet. You know, Robert and Angie weren't married yet. We used to hang out with um, Augie and Yvonne. Um, there was just a lot of us that were kind of starting to date around the same time. And it must have been, I believe it was May. In fact, it was actually Mother's Day that we had gone to go eat at a restaurant for breakfast. And it was Wally, Doreen, and myself. And my daughter was already five when I got saved. And so we went to a restaurant and he gave Doreen a quarter to go get a bubble gum at the bubble gum machine. <laughs> and so when she walked away, he's like, I would like to ask you to be my girlfriend. And I told him, and he's, and I'm, I probably, he probably should have gotten scared, but he said, thank God he didn't because I told him, look, I've been divorced and I have a little girl. And so if we're going to do this, it's going to be for a reason. We're not, I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to be into the dating scene at church because that's not what I want. Like I said, he didn't get scared. Thank God he didn't. And so we started dating in May. I guess we were dating about five months because he, we quickly got engaged. And by February of 1993, uh, we were married. Wow. And how long have you guys been married? We have been married uh, this February will be... Uh, 28 years but I do want to go back a little bit and say during the time that we were dating which was about five months dating three months engaged um, we kept it clean we didn't hold hands we never were alone and so the very first time that we ever kissed was at the altar you guys have been a true testimony all of these years um, I've seen it firsthand I mean, it's a true testimony to me personally because I've never known anything different than what you and Wally have presented to me, you know, or, or to our family. And so you guys are a true testimony to a lot of people. I'm just so amazed. It's been 29 years that I gave my life to Jesus and I would have never imagined where what God has done in my life, what God was going to do in my life, how God has brought me to this place. I'm so blessed. God blesses us beyond what we ever think that we can ever be blessed. He does so much in, he's done so much in these 29 years. And I want to end by sharing a little bit of a testimony. I recently had a death in the family. One of my cousins, she told me, you know, you were the first Christian in the family that got saved, and you have been such a testimony. At first, we didn't understand what had happened to you because you weren't partying with us anymore. You weren't out there doing everything that we all, we've always done. And she said, but we see now everything that God has done and how that, that relationship that you have with Jesus is real. 
And so now we know that we can turn to you because we know that you have the answers. We know that you are the real deal, that you really are what a Christian is supposed to be. And it just amazed me because I always felt like my family had disowned me because I was the goody two-shoe, I guess, now because of Christianity and and they didn't understand it. And, and I did somewhat detach myself because it's hard to, to witness to your family because they know exactly who you are. And yet 29 years later, for my family to, to reach out to me in these times of hardship is such an amazing gift that God has given me because I just would have never, ever imagined that God would have turned the tables for me. And I would just want you to let, want you to know that God can do all that and much more for you, but it has to be the longevity. It has to be the testimony that they have to see that this is real. You can't be wavering. You can't be compromising. You can't be unfaithful to your relationship with Jesus because in being faithful and being committed and giving your whole heart and your whole life to Jesus, is going to bring the testimony and the blessing that God has for you. I really appreciate those words of encouragement to us listening here today. And I want to thank you for um, sharing your your testimony with us and sharing your, your story. And I hope that you all enjoyed.